North Carolina barbecue and the name Ed Mitchell are synonymous. We talk about traditional barbecue in its historic context being brought into the 21st century. It's on tip of the tongue. Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We're here today with Ryan Mitchell and Zella Palmer. Ryan manages the Ed Mitchell Barbecue Empire that includes the preserve in Raleigh and sauces, True Made Foods. Zella is the chair and director of the Ray Charles Program in African-American Material Culture at Dillard University in New Orleans. Together with Ed Mitchell, Ryan's dad, they wrote Ed Mitchell's Barbecue, a new book that's really a lot of fun. Welcome to Tip of the Tongue. Excited to be here. Thank you, Liz. Thank you. Excited. So first of all, I want to tell you, this book is just delightful. You have managed to make it personal and yet representative of so many people at the same time. I think that's really a remarkable thing to get both of them right without it feeling pedantic or preachy or anything like that. It's really pleasant to read it and you feel informed. You feel like you've got a personal touch. And then you just want to eat the food. <laughs> it's, uh, that was the goal from, from the very beginning. As, as we set out, you know, once the project came to be and it was going to be more than just me just uh, bloviating about recipes and this and that. Uh, it, it, once it turned into something huge, we knew that we, we were on to something. So the inclusive approach, um, research was the only way that we were going to play together. So tell me, Ryan, did you grow up in the barbecue business? I did. I grew up in the barbecue business. But, you know, my, my grandfather, as the story starts in the book, my grandfather passes away in 1991. Um, but prior to that, you know, my grandparents owned a little corner bodega grocery store called Mitchell's Supermarket. And so, you know, since the age of uh, like seven, six, seven years old, I was standing on the Pepsi crates, running the cash register, helping with inventory and, and all those things, uh, you know, that come along with a family business. And then when my grandfather passes and we slowly convert into a grill slash restaurant slash barbecue business, then my journey inside of the barbecue business, you know, as a family, you know, what's the what's probably not as uh, relevant, what's probably not as known in the book is that we all enter the barbecue business commercially at the same time, you know, hand in hand, uh, just at different ages. So I grew up, you know, in the smokehouse, in the dining room, and, you know, on the cash register, wherever, you know, just, uh, it, it was what my family used to kind of keep me out of trouble and keep me earning my keep and all and. and, and Earning my allowance, so to say, you know. <laughs> and so, Zella, tell us about your role in this book. Well, um, I, you know, 
I guess my past as a curator at SOFAD, the Southern Fat, Fat Food and Beverage Museum paid off because I was able to just sit down with Mr. Mitchell, Ryan, the entire family, and really just listen to their story and figure out ways that we can tell a unique story, you know, a, gen a story that passes over four generations and really the story of Eastern North Carolina barbecue. And, you know, we wanted to make sure that we told a the, the the story as much as we could you know in a in a small in a, in a book that could open up for more conversations and i see that you got howard conyers to write the introduction which i thought was really exciting it was really exciting we got dr howard conyers for those of your listeners who don't know nasa rocket scientist as well as a barbecue pit master and historian from north from south carolina we also had John T. Edge write a foreword in the book. And then we also had Lisa Henderson, who is the nucleus really that brought um, the Mitchells and myself together. She's my cousin. She's a lawyer in Atlanta, but she is a native of Wilson, North Carolina. And she also has a blog about my mother's side of the family and her father's side of the family that, and not just her, our side of the family, but every Black person, African-American in Wilson, North Carolina. She, she's been researching for quite some time. So it was an honor to have all three of them, you know, just co contribute an essay to um, the book. So Ryan, you huh? sort of left the business for a while and then you came back. So what yeah. brought you back? Uh, well, a couple of things. I mean, <laughs> uh, dramatically, I got laid off from my, my career in corporate America. Um, but in between that, you know, I spent eight to nine years inside of corporate, corporate America in investment banking, retail banking, just kind of you know, just trying to find my way outside of, you know, all I knew was Wilson and family business. Uh, when I graduated college, you know, I, I did come home to work just for, you know, a few months or a year and a half. And then, you know, um, I needed to kind of get away a little bit. I needed to kind of see what the rest of the world, you know, kind of had to offer and get a new perspective on uh, where I was going and where I, where I came from. So, um you know, I spent some time chasing my degree, chasing chasing that corporate dream, and you know, and it's essentially the cubicle wall started closing in on me. Mm -hmm. But um, I get to work one day, and uh, you know, security is all over the trade floor, so I'm thinking there's like a bomb threat or something going on, you know, and and slowly but surely, you know, um, each of our you know departments on my floor, you know, we begin to understand. Oh wow, we are a part of this. 1200 person layoff that is coming down through through the company and so uh, i never forget that day you know i i uh i go in the office and I, I have a choice between not really a choice but i have an opportunity to take the savage package and or apply for a relocation to singapore so you know savage package it was you know since i wasn't moving to singapore at that time you know so i get home and um you know, it's, and, 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 you know, the irony of all of that is that simultaneously when I'm getting laid off and my career is kind of in flux and my dad's reputation in barbecue is, is, is steady rising. You know, we have, we had just finished the Bobby Flay episode. We have a couple of newspaper articles and, and, and reporters that are still chasing us, trying to find out, you know, what it is we're doing. We have a, you know, a, a, a restaurant that we're operating in Raleigh. 
And so we're, we're climbing up the ranks here in, uh, in barbecue. And I told my dad, you know, um, you know, now is now is the time for us to really just figure out what are we going to do to be in control of our brand going forward. Um, and so I kind of had a, you know, that prodigal son moment where, you know, um, you know, once you get laid off like that, honestly, you know, um, you change, you know, I did anyway. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't the same after, you know, understanding that everything that I had educated myself for, everything that I thought I wanted to do could just be taken away, you know, in the blink of an eye, you know, without anything that you have actually done wrong, just, you know, a restructure. So that was a an eye-opening experience for me as as far as how I was pursuing my my livelihood and my time and the things that I was going to be in control of in my in my life. So I just made a decision, honestly, if I was, you know, going to be that vulnerable, I'm going to be doing it with my family, you know, and I'm going to be doing it with at least trying to, to chase a form of entrepreneurship. So I want to tell you my own personal Ed Mitchell story. Okay. So, so, you know, I founded the Southern Food and Beverage Museum here in New Orleans. Yes, so I was at the museum one day and we had not been open, but maybe six weeks or something like that. So we were still setting up our exhibits and we wanted to make sure that barbecue was represented in every part of the museum. We didn't right. want to have a separate barbecue exhibit. We wanted it to be like in this state, this is what barbecue is like. In this state, it's this way. And, you know, kind of show that on the edges, everything blends together and all of that kind of thing. And so- right. So we, we were trying to set this up. And then this man walks in the door dressed in overalls. And he says, I brought you something. And yeah. I thought, okay. So I went outside with him. And there he had this huge cutout of himself. Yeah. And some, <laughs> um, some posters that he had had printed. And there was a little pit that he had brought a smoker. And so he said, here, you can have this. This represents on a small scale exactly what I do and everything. And I was thrilled because I certainly knew him by reputation. And there it was now in the museum. <laughs> he it to us just un unexpectedly, unanticipated. So it was, I said, well, let me take you to lunch. Let me take you, say thank you or whatever. And he said, no, I'm going back. And he got back in his truck. <laughs> I mean, listen, that was me that drove from North Carolina to New Orleans in 40, 40, 27 hours to do that. So I'll never forget, he got the email, or I got the email and I had given it to him. This was about, what, 2017, uh, 16, 16, 17 ish? No, no, it was more like 2015. Yeah. So he gets this email and a letter. It's like, man, I just got inducted to the, the Southern uh, Beverage Hall of Fame. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> like, yeah, man. And, uh, you know, and I remember I was communicating and she was like with some lady, uh, I can't remember her name exactly. And, uh, but she was saying that, hey, uh, it would be really cool if you could send us some artifacts, but anything that we wanted to ship in the mail was going to be unreasonable. And he wanted so bad to get you guys a grill and this uh -huh. poster, right? Uh -huh. I was like, dude, we can't ship that. And 
He's like, well, we're just going to drive on up there and take it to him. I was like, <laughs> I said, are you crazy? Like, what do you mean? Like, I got so much stuff to do, right? That's the thing I know that morning. You know, he, sure enough, he, so he, he gets the van rented somehow and calls me. And so I have to jump in the truck, in the van, pack the van with this smoker and the cutout and the, the life-size poster board. And we make the trip all the way up to uh to the museum, drop it off. And I just look around and just kind of try to enjoy my moment in there, you know, with looking at all the new the beverage uh, artifacts and stuff. And get in the road, get in the car, get in the van, come on back. We we made two stops. One in uh we stopped somewhere between uh, in we stopped somewhere in Georgia and stayed at the hotel. And then we stopped at a Waffle House. And then we, <laughs> but those were the only two stops we made to uh, to there and back. And it was, but that's but that's who he is, man. That's who my dad is. He wants he wants to. If you ask him to do something, he wants to try and give you the best piece of his representation that he can. Well, <laughs> it is all still here. Yeah. So the the poster of him, you know, the life size one and everything, it's still there. So <laughs> I, I think it's just so wonderful. And I smile every time I look at it because it was just such a surprise and so wonderful. So <laughs> that's my story. I'm gonna send you the photos of him sleeping in the car all the way there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I still have them. Because I tell you the picture, him sleeping in the van and it's labeled, you know, New Orleans and back, you know, and I'm drinking a, a, a monster, uh, like Red Bull thing. Right, right, right. I, I keep myself away. <laughs> That's so funny. Okay, so I'm going to tell you too, I made, out of your cookbook, I made the smoke collard green dip. Oh, oh my yummy. gosh, that is so good. That <laughs> never again will I ever make a, a, a spinach dip because <laughs> nothing compared to that. That is so, so good. You yeah. have to send us a picture next time you make it. Okay. okay. <laughs> that, was, that was the point. I was trying to uh I was trying to put a twist on the spinach dip. And so we started using collards uh in the uh, you know to replace it in the recipe probably about 10 years ago. And so uh, that was our little southern southern household twi uh, twist on spinach. Yeah, really good. The other thing is, I want to ask you about your grandmother. You mm -hmm. talk about mm -hmm. how your grandmother, your grandmother's cucumber salads is just wonderful. And you talk in there about how she made everything because, of course, she wasn't opening cans or anything like that. Everything was made fresh. So did mm -hmm. she make her own mayonnaise? Did she do all of that? Or did she use some convenience things? Um, there was some convenience. I mean, I can't, um, you know, some of the condiments that were not uh, maybe of our culture, you know, sort of say she would probably, she, she would buy. We were in the grocery business too. So we had access to some things. But my grandmother's thing was, you know, she was um, adamant about making as much from scratch. And you know, her waste not, want not mentality of, of, of what's in the house and what comes from the garden and what comes from, you know, the things that we have available, um, all the way down to taking her fruits and veggies and using them as serums and, and, and sweeteners inside of drinks and beverages, which is where the watermelon sweet tea comes from, is where the base of our barbecue sauces comes from her using these, you know, preserved recipes of, of carrots and butternut squash and sweet potatoes and 
you know, just using all those things inside of other ingredients. Um, but her her thing is, you know, she sets her dinner she sets her dinner table up with uh, with love, you know, and nourishment. She didn't, um, you know, from 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 the late 1930s, you know, as a six seven year old little girl, she grew up right off the, you know, right from the very beginning, cleaning, cooking, and cleaning in plantation homes and, and former, uh, you know, plantation homes that were, you know, she was in charge of. Right off the right off from the very beginning, cooking and cleaning and cooking and making recipes and and being creative in the kitchen. And so her thing was, if she had to cook and clean and do those things under circumstances that she didn't want to be in, she would put that same effort inside of her home when she got when she got home. So uh, that was her cooking is her love language. It's like a, a form of therapy, you know. So she gives that right back to the family and and everything she does. She doesn't even. She doesn't even call it cooking. She calls it uh, uh, providing nourishment. You know, that's what she <laughs> that's what she likes to refer to it as. So um, she's definitely the foundation of how we look at hospitality and how we, um, you know, how we try to set the the tone of the book. Yeah, I really I felt a real appreciation because my grandmother was the same way. You don't throw anything away. Absolutely yeah. nothing gets thrown away. And yeah. everything was made from scratch. So yeah. I, I thought, yep, I get that. And yeah. it's it's Mason Jaws, Mason Jaws everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and and, you, and the best cook ever. The best uh, cook ever. <laughs> and you feel so lucky to have been brought up with that because so many people aren't, you know, it's just really a fortunate thing. So Zella, tell me something. What is it that you felt you learned from, from working with the Mitchells and writing this book? I think I learned more about the diversity of Eastern North Carolina food. Um, And I also, I mean, this was also a personal journey for me because my mother's grandfather was from Wilson, North Carolina. So Um, this was also me kind of, you know, just full circle, just being in Wilson, you know, with the Mitchells, meeting everybody. There's some stories in there that I shared in my uh, introduction. And I was, you know, fortunate enough to share my mother's grandfather's uh, oyster stew, you know, and I'm so grateful that the Mitchells allowed me to do that because, you know, my mother passed not that long ago. So, um, it'll forever be in their book, you know, and I learned so much. I mean, it was so much fun eating, you know, eating the, the recipes that they wanted to share. I mean, we had a great time at Baxter Miller's, um, a, a, a North Carolina photographer that is incredible food photographer. I mean, tomato pie, you know, we had this funny uh, moment where we were, um, making, you know, fried pig ears and just this, this generational moment of us like having to cut pig ears. <laughs> and we just had a blast and, you know, and nothing like the, that first bite of Ed and Ryan Mitchell's barbecue. I mean, it's mind blowing, you know? Um, so I really enjoyed that. And, and most, most of all, sitting down with mother Mitchell in her home, you know, and just, she's just full of life, you know, she's, just an incredible, incredible woman. And you could understand why, you know, they are who they are because of her and just how she, you know, does everything with grace and faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So, all right, let's get back to your cookbook for a second. I want you to tell me about smoked tofu burnt ends. <laughs> so listen, that was my layup, if you will, to my vegan and vegetarian friends, okay? Uh, it's a barbecue cookbook, you know, meat dominant. Um, however, in our restaurant, we have quite a few, more than average, non-meat eaters who come uh, to, to dine with us. Sometimes they come alone, but sometimes they're just guests of other friends. They may have a relative or significant other who's huge, you know, a huge fan of barbecue, but they may not be. Uh-huh. So we um, we decided to put some tofu on the smoker one day and, and see and see if we could just kind of recreate some, you know, some smoked barbecue, if you will, if you want to call it that. Uh, we used the jackfruit for the actual barbecue, but the tofu gave you know, a, a, a consistency that we would cut it and shape it like brands. Sometimes we would cut it and shape it like a rib. <laughs> you know, we would do a couple of different things, but it held up really well on the smoker and you were able to get the, uh, you know, the oak wood and the charcoal flavor inside of the tofu. So, you know, dice it, you know, up like a burn in and, 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 you know, season it up and put the barbecue sauce on it. And then you, you know, we had, we had quite a, you know, quite a following who would who would eat it up and, and enjoy it. And if they didn't, uh, they would at least get it as an appetizer to sit with, you know, someone who who uh, who was enjoying a rack of ribs, you know. So I wanted to put it in the book because uh, it was, you know, when we got to Raleigh, it was really the first time we had to kind of think about things like that as it, as it relates to diversifying the the, uh, the menu just a little bit to kind of make sure everybody had, you know, uh, a space, you know, when they came inside the restaurant. So I didn't grow up eating uh, smoked tofu, but we had to make it up. We had to reinvent it, you know, as we got further into the barbecue business. <laughs> well, I really think that people who become vegan who like that smoky flavor have mm-hmm. a problem. And that they need to have friends in the barbecue world so that they could get that flavor of smoke in their food. Uh, and and if you look at something like baba ganoush, which mm-hmm. really is nice and smoky eggplant, that's people who appreciate the fact that smoke adds a really fine flavor, not just to meat, but to other things too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I tell, I tell my share, uh, my Chefs and coworkers all the time. I said, man, you know, it might not feel like it, but, you know, plant-based lifestyle is here to stay, you know, especially for this younger generation. I think I've probably catered more, I've catered more child vegan vegetarian birthday parties in the past two years than I ever had. Now, I, I never met, as a kid, I didn't even know what vegetarian was, you know, like I never could imagine not having or eating, you know, meat, but families, Young adults of this generation are spending, you know, a lot of time researching the things that they're putting into their bodies. So we have to kind of, the barbecue world needs to be, uh, you know, have an eye out for that. Mm-hmm. Well, also, the barbecue world has a tradition of sides that are often very, very vegetable based uh, yeah. or vegetable forward at any rate. You have beans and slaw and potatoes, sweet potatoes, all of that. And so you can go to a barbecue restaurant and not eat the barbecue at all and just have a fine time with all the sides. 
That's right. I'm so glad you said that because we, when we did our book launch in Raleigh, at Chapel Hill, you know, Ryan was kept on get, you know, and was talking about how sometimes we would, he would get questions like, why is there seafood in the book, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, people don't understand the totality of barbecue in the South sometimes, you know, it's, it, the commercialization has made it just, you know, maybe a little bit of slaw, maybe a little bit of uh, white bread, but it's so much more than that, especially when you consider that, you know, most of the purveyors or the original pitmasters were sharecroppers, were enslaved, you know, farmers. And that's why we included some, a lot of the historic photos from the UNC um, archives, because we wanted to make sure that people understood that this history goes way back. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> did you run across women who were pitmasters in your research, Zella? I did. Um, there, you know, I, you can really get into a rabbit hole. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and, you know what I mean? And I was, I was getting into a rabbit hole, and Ryan had to reel me out. <laughs> and my mother, and my mother too. My mother was like, you know, because she knows me, because I will like literally nerd out. <laughs> so yes, there was definitely, you know, the 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 relationship between the gender roles and barbecue is huge, and I think we touched on that a little bit about, you know, in the book, just how, um, you know, the women were vital to not only, you know, providing the sides, but, you know, some women actually had to do, you know, like his mother, like his grandmother had to prepare the sauce, you know, so, and there were also, you know, women who were uh, cooking, right, and and helping out their husbands or helping out their fathers. I mean, it was, it went hand in hand. Right. Well, I just, I, I think that it's another example of how cooking is a a civilizing group activity in the South. And Mm -hmm. it is a way that we pass down our stories. It's the way we pass down family traditions, as well as the knowledge of whatever it is we're doing. And because everyone's together and you're talking, Mm -hmm. sharing what you're doing, and the conversation is is just natural. Mm -hmm. And I think that happens it happens all over the world, wherever there are people who cook in groups. And I I just think that's one of the most important things about cooking. This is one of the ways that we pass down family traditions. And it's just wonderful. My dad, my dad is, uh, he gets in trouble all the time. You know, we have to retool the message just a little bit when we start talking about it from that aspect, because his reality is when he starts to tell his story, about him being in barbecue, it's like, yeah, I wanted to be, I didn't want to be in the kitchen with the women folk. I wanted to be outside, you know, with the men folk cooking barbecue. And I was like, look, we're going to have to figure out how to, <laughs> we're gonna have to figure out how to re- rework that statement, and, you know, as we start, <laughs> as we get through the book, right? Because we're getting, I'm getting emails and we, we're getting in that rabbit hole that Zella's talking about, right? So, <laughs> But, but his reality for his generation was barbecue and the labor intense a- activity that it that it was over the hot pits outside in the ground or above ground was usually, you know, handed over to, you know, the males to be outside in that type of, you know, regimented, you know, environment. And, you know, subsequently, females were indoors in a in a better quote unquote environment making 
sides and, and all types of other things that come along with Southern cooking. And that's, uh, that's one of the, you know, that's one of the complexities of barbecue because the outdoor aspect of it keeps it connected to the farm, which keeps it connected to the plantation, you know, uh, mindset. So you have a lot of young black pit masters, uh, you know, who are, who had took them a while to figure out how involved they wanted to be with that, you know, because mm -hmm. it, it brings up, you know, uh, so many other emotions, you know, of, of doing that kind of work. Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely see that. So, so let me ask you about the modern, the modern day, and how is barbecue changing, and how how do you balance the tradition with the modern world? Well, it's the commercialization. The commercialization of it is being really tailored towards who's marketing what type of meat protein so for example we like we have this conversation in our launch you know texas does texas just does an amazing job without marketing everyone so the world really the country really identifies brisket and beef as, as barbecue and the competition circuit has the industry kind of in the in the chokehold right now because everybody you know uh, wants the label of pitmaster through you know, the competition angle of barbecue instead of, you know, the nutritional or the historical angle of barbecue. Right. So, um, and there are lots of rules. <laughs> and there's lots of rules, man. But there is no rules in survival, which is the origin of the craft. But there's rules mm -hmm. in it being, you know, marketed as a sport, you know. So we try to, you know, we tell guys all the time, you know, uh, the sport of barbecue is not how we enter the business. So we don't really have a lot of, conversation about that you know we entered it from a position of survival so the beauty of it all in the at the end of the day um i think that it is becoming more of a of a at home uh the the reemergence of the at home backyard activity aspect of barbecue uh the small play the small um the small group you know, village conversations like with, with Dr. Howard Conyers has with his uh, Black Barbecue Hall of Fame mm -hmm. in these small groups and these 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 weekend teachings of the craft and people can, you know, engage in learning its history. I think those things are coming to be more, more relevant to kind of off balance what you see, you know, around the country where every 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 other block is trying to be a barbecue restaurant of some sort. So hopefully you know, we just keep adding balance and, and, and highlighting the backyard heroes so that they can, because they are the only ones who are going to be able to, you know, buy, you know, you know, give, give the barbecue and, and give barbecue uh, that at home experience that it, that it really deserves to have. You know? So, you know, I think the future is bright, but um, it, it's going to have to be a balance between at home and restaurant more than more than what it used to be yeah because <clears throat> all the old, old all the old barbecue places for example in the south are phasing out because you actually can't have in you, you can't have pits and construction in the same facet that you that you could have you know 30 40 years ago so right. so by default the new places are just you know high price ovens you know where you just put 
food in the smoker and press a button, you know, but, yeah. and so everybody is thinking that that's barbecue, but it's not. Right, right. And it's definitely not the tradition. It's No, it's not, it's not, it's not the tradition. Yeah. The only way you can get a tradition now is by doing it at home and or in, you know, small, small group settings. So I really want to thank you for this book. This book is really a treasure. And uh, so everybody who worked on it deserves, you know, to, to be recognized because I think it was really, it's really lovely. The pictures are fabulous. Not only the, the sort of pictures that you took for the book, but all of the other book pictures that are in the book, whether they're family pictures or historical pictures um, and illustrations. I, I think all of this is just really so thoughtful. And um, I really, I really appreciate the, appreciated this book. Um, and Thank you. recipes are also wonderful. So that's another <laughs> important part of cookbook. Where, you know, you can look at it and you can read it and it's, you know, it sounds wonderful and that's great. But if the recipes don't work, then it's kind of a bust. And uh, I can tell you that these recipes work. They're really, really good. I'm going to give one more shout out to um, <laughs> the uh, smoke color greens uh, dip because that is stellar. Really. <laughs> so, um, I thank you both for being with, being with us today. And uh, I'm, I'm going to be there one day. I'm going to eat your food. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you, Liz. <laughs> and the name of us. the book, the name of the book is Ed Mitchell's Barbecue, just so everybody knows if they want to get it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue, a part of the Nitty Grits Network of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum. Subscribe to this and other food and drink related podcasts at southernfood.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to keep up with me, Liz Williams, you can subscribe to my Substack newsletter, also called Tip of the Tongue, for more information about this podcast, recipes, and just what is going on. I'm Liz Williams. Thanks for listening.